As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Sportsman drag racing. It's my best Steve Evans impression to start the show off. Be there. It was awesome. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is coming to you from the great state of Alabama. I'm coming to you from Illinois. Big Jed, we had a great Bucky's discussion pre-show. Yeah. What what else is what else is new in your world? <laughs> you know, Luke, uh, just you know, a lot of normal stuff in my world. A lot of the same things that's going on always. But as you know, I'm I'm just a little bit pissed off right now, and and it's, it has really nothing to do with me. But uh, there's um, there's some decisions that's been made by uh, a major sanctioning body and and sportsman racing and. They're very poor decisions, and it's got me a little pissed off. I don't think we have time to cover everything right now, but I look forward to talking about it sometime soon. Well, we always look at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast as an opportunity for you or I to air our grievances. So if now is not the time, I, I do I do look forward to the time. Yeah, well, I, uh, I look forward to it as well. Um, you know, um, IHRA is an organization that I'm a member of, and I appreciate what they have done, but they're making some poor decisions lately in terms of, uh, of uh, supporting racers uh, and, and finding loopholes to where the, the rules are overriding common sense. And, and I get how silly that sounds, but if a man forgot to put his ex on but he was physically there running the category and he just didn't have a stupid ass X on his car, but he won the most rounds. He should go to the world finals. 
that's really all I need to say about that. Luke, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about on the show, but I'm a little bit aggravated with IHRA right now. I can tell. I look forward to getting filled in because outside of two minutes in the pre-show meeting, I have no idea what you're talking about. But it sounds like you're adamant about it and it's hard for me to argue with you. Well, I think we're all learning a little bit. You know, I think everybody's learning a little bit about this new IHRA sanctioning body and some of the rules. And, you know, it's easy to let a couple of little things slip by you sometimes, but we have to let common sense override rules. And I know that sounds wrong, but in this case, it's not really a a big decision. You know, it was a a stupid X and, and we learn from it. We move on and, but we didn't, we didn't move on. We moved backwards. Fair to say, I think fair to say, or certainly hopeful to say that I think you're right. I think we are all learning the IHRA people included. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so too. What are we going to talk about this week? On a funner subject, more funner. Yeah. Last week, we basically dedicated our last episode of this podcast to one man, Big Jed, one very deserving man at that, one Steve Micus. Yeah. We'll follow up. Like, we'll just continue the good vibes from the Steve Micus episode. Jed, we heard from Steve over the course of the week. We heard from the man that Steve beat in the final, one Chase McKay, both sent very, uh, very friendly, very enjoyable messages to the podcast. Um, anything stand out from you as in feedback that you've got or, or zooming out a little bit from the Steve Micah's conversation and that incredible victory he had at the OG 50? Well, I'm, I'm very happy that Steve has the internet and, and is able to, to look at it and listen to it and read it. That's a great thing for Steve. I'm just happy uh, that the internet works up there. I mean, he's nearly in the UP. He's way up there. <laughs> as far as feedback, Luke, I think it's really cool that, um, that we've gotten some great feedback, not only about Steve. Uh, we've had people reach out to us and tell us how great a guy he is, which we already knew, but it's always good to hear that and confirm your opinion on someone. And we also heard from some of those um, second and third gen racers that, uh, that are listening to the show and, just appreciated some coverage of such a legendary event in the World Super Pro Challenge. So I thought it was really cool to hear from uh, racers young and old and certainly the love for Steve that's out there. Just nothing else. It just confirmed exactly what we said about him. Yeah, I think the story that will always resonate with me, it actually it came from Chase McKay. He He told us about a time years ago when – his father was involved in a IHRA points chase and, and heard a motor. And I think yeah. it was in the rain. If I remember reading that, like they, they tore the motor up, it's raining. Like, Hey, we got to change motors because we got an opportunity to, to chase this thing. We're here. We're going to change the motor in the rain and who comes over to lend a hand, but one Steve Micus. And they changed the motor in the very car. Then that chase drove to the final round that he ultimately lost to Steve Micus. So we were joking on the show a week ago about how, you know I bet there was a part of Chase McKay that when Steve's Winlight came on in the final, like he thought, man, I'm happy for that guy. And that's not very <laughs> common, you know, when, when you're that's in right. the other lane, but just reading that note from Chase, there was definitely an element of that. Like everybody on the premises, including the guy in the other lane was thrilled for Steve Micus. That that's rare. That's pretty cool stuff. 
It is very rare. It is very cool. And it definitely is a testament to who Steve Micus is and what he means to, again, uh, many generations of racers. So uh, just really, that was a heartwarming story for sure, but uh, no surprise at all. And I don't know if you saw this, Big Jed, but my man Micus, he picked up right where he left off. He started, (laughs) we had a two-day race at Stanton this weekend, like their normal point series. I think he started the weekend, like his first run of eliminations. He laid down nothing. Perfect run in round one on Saturday. And he continued that momentum on Sunday. Guess what he did, Big Jed? He won the damn race. Steve Micus won the damn race. <laughs> A week removed from winning the 50, he strikes again. I think it's safe to say. I don't know if he ever went anywhere, but it is safe to say, Big Jed. Steve Micus, it's back. He is back. Uh, stop, drop, and roll, Steve. You're on fire, bro. Um, just, again, very happy to hear it. It's an awesome story. Starting it out with a perfect run and, and completing the, the final round win on Sunday. Uh, you know, obviously got a lot of momentum right now. You know, doubt that it's going to translate into traveling and, and racing any of the big bucks races around, but you know, I'm sure he's very happy in his own skin right now. He's the hemist him, and he don't have to go anywhere else to prove what he's capable of. So do you, Steve. The hemist him. Let's transition into Topeka, Big Jed, where I was at, where I spent some time last weekend. It was the final running of the NHRA Kansas Nationals at Heartland Park, Topeka. And I guess the the easiest place to start, I mean, we talk about the hemist him. The the victory from Topeka that gave off Steve Micus vibes, Big Jed. How about my man Mike Cotton? Mike Cotton gets the win in Stock Eliminator. It's his fourth national event win. He nearly doubled. He advanced to the semifinal round in Superstock. Gets the Stock Eliminator win over a friend of the podcast, one Parker DeVore. DeVore went red in that final round. But Mike Cotton is a guy that, similar to Steve Micus, has been around this forever similar to Steve Micus, is almost universally beloved. Mike and his wife, Paula, a fixture on the NHRA Tour, um, came up racing out of Oklahoma, I believe, and then uh, recently, I think, upon retirement, moved to Arizona. So they got friends all across the country, and I just, the vibe at the track, the vibe on social media was very similar to that OG50. Like, everybody just really stoked, really excited, really happy to see Mike Cotton secure yet another victory. Yeah, Luke, uh, just another one of those guys, as you said, that's uh, that's well-respected and and loved a lot in the pits. He's, he's dedicated a lifetime uh, to stock eliminator racing. Mike has, and his wife, Paula, have traveled many a mile and competed in many events. So uh, always great to see people that have given so much to racing accomplished something very special uh nearly doubled up which you know again would have been an an extra amazing feat but uh really happy to see mike get it done and um you know parker devores he's my buddy i mean sasquatch he's he's easily the biggest stock eliminator racer in the history and i don't mean like just big around this dude is big you know he's he's sasquatch he's bigfoot and uh and I love seeing him win. I really do. Boomer Sooner, Parker. Uh, but this 
just one of those feel-good wins for Mike Cotton. And, and I know Parker knows what Mike Cotton means to the category and to racing in general. So uh, his mad probably got set aside pretty quickly. The final Super Comp Wally, national event Wally, handed, handed out at Heartland Park, Topeka. It seemed fitting, Big Jed, that it came down to a pair of Kansas legends duking it out for that Wally. It was Mark Graham getting the victory over Matt Driscoll. The only name missing from that conversation when you talk about Kansas legends, Gary Stinnett. What happened to Stinnett? Oh, he and Graham had to tangle in round three. Graham got the better of that one. So three absolute legends of the sport and that area. Fitting that they were very much in the mix deciding that final Super Comp Wally. Most definitely fitting. You know, that's a that's a dream ending for, for Kansas diehard sportsman racers and people that, you know, really wanted to see the perfect ending to the national event scene there at Topeka. Um, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, those are the biggest names in Kansas racing and for, you know, Graham and obviously Stennett to have to pair up in E3 probably was a little bit disappointing, but certainly a couple of Kansas legends duking it out for that last Topeka trophy uh, is storybook as it gets. Luke. When we zoom out on Mark Graham's box score, you know, we're a fan of the box score here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that Parker Theobald. It wasn't that, uh, uh, Dennis Dowson, just unbelievable score throughout, but Mark Graham went three consecutive rounds, starting with that round three matchup with Gary Stinnett, where he laid down 20 total. Again, like it's easy for us to kind of shrug our, shrug our shoulders at 20 total. Cause we're used to the eighth mile bracket racing numbers, 20 total on the long track. When they pick the dial in for you, it's not the easiest thing to accomplish. He backs that up in round four with nine total to defeat Ross Laris, Ross Larice comes back around in the semifinals and betters it yet again, lays down eight total to knock off Dan Foley and advance to the final round. He never in six rounds of competition, Jed, he never missed the 890 index by more than a hundredth of a second. That's pretty impressive anywhere. It's damn impressive at Heartland Park, Topeka, particularly last weekend where it was not uncommon for good racers in good cars to miss the index by five, six, eight hundredths of a second. Mark Graham to ring that up 93 times, I think 91 twice. And then in the final one, a double breakout with Driscoll to go 89 to be within a hundredth of that index throughout. Pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive. You know, Luke, uh, we, I think you've talked for a lot of experience over the years from Topeka and how that place throws many, many a curveball and becomes a driver's race because you have to make sure that you can cover the dial uh, when things slow down and you could uh, get some temperature changes that's going to need you to slow the car down as well. So that, that place sounds like it can be very, very challenging, but who could possibly know it better than uh, a guy that spent that much time in the lanes everywhere you can race in Kansas. So uh, again, obviously ended very storybook, but Graham earned it for sure. Just to, to illustrate and, and to be completely transparent, the weather this past weekend at the national event was tame by Topeka standards. At the divisional event two weeks prior, my wife went up for round one. She left the trailer. We, we, have, a, we have a little meeting on like, okay, here's what we're going to put in the timer. Send it, right? 
she left the trailer with 235 in the timer to to go she whatever she's set up on right to go 890 by the time she got to the staging lanes which is a trip at Topeka you're probably close to a mile away right by the time she literally got out of her car at the staging lanes I had sent her a text saying hey the wind switch directions drop that from 235 to 220 okay now for those of you not familiar like remove the throttle stop it's roughly a 2 to 1 ratio I just had her roll 15 numbers out of the throttle stop. That's like seven and a half hundredths in the span of 10 minutes. So I told her, go from 235 to 220. She had just pulled under the tower when it started raining. And I was, I hadn't quite hit send on the text, but I was going to tell her, hey, roll that back up to 230. So we went from speeding it up seven and a half hundredths to slowing it back down five hundredths, all within a span of about 15 minutes. And that's Topeka. It is not for the timid. Like you've got, it's the one plate you could do a burnout, look up at the flag and just immediately speed the car up five hundredths of a second. Like it's, it's not short of maybe Bandamere. Like I've never, never been to Bandamere. It is the trickiest place to dial that I've ever been to. So like I say, that just illustrates how difficult it is to accomplish what Mark Graham just did. And he made it look relatively easy. Yeah, it sounds very challenging at times, and and certainly that scenario you just laid out. You know, that's not a lot of people would be willing to to change, put that much change in it, even thinking that they should. So that's uh, that definitely leads to a driver's race, and uh, you know the next guy that we're about to talk about here. It explains a lot about why he has done so well there because he's a driver. We buried the lead, Big Jed. The lead isn't <laughs> that Mike Cotton won at Topeka. It isn't that Mark Graham won at Topeka. The lead might be that Austin Williams didn't win at Topeka. They had a national event. They had the last national event. Austin didn't win. Austin and he made and he made the final. Yeah, that's Austin runnered up for the first time in his history at Topeka, where he had an incredible. Uh, final round record. Forget his Topeka record in general. He's won seven national events there. That in and of itself is incredible. Take that up to the next level with the fact that coming into this weekend, he had never lost a final round in national event competition at Topeka. He was a perfect seven and oh. That record fell in his last Topeka national event appearance, presumably uh, last national event appearance at Topeka. He gets the runner up in Supergas to one Roger Sauter, his first national event runner-up in Topeka. Sauter, for his for his part in this, he extends what has been a tremendous season. He is leading Division Five Super Gas points. He extends that now with the second national event win in his career. Yeah, very impressive for Sauter. You know, not just getting that second national event win, and obviously not the trickiest of conditions there, but somewhat challenging sound like where you said drivers missing the dial by 500s and the super gas category i'm sure offer very similar for, challenges for for us mortals if you will like topeka ranks a, a nine and a half of ten in terms of of difficulty right in dialing a car roger Sauter is from denver roger oh, Sauter yeah. looks at that and goes yeah Home child's play <laughs> yeah. this is child's play this is nothing yeah so obviously a great accomplishment for Sauter and, and certainly something that, that he'll love forever, getting his second national event win, the last one at Topeka. All those things are very special. 
But when you beat a guy that was previously seven and zero, and the guy that probably, if you just let fifty people pick who the winner was going to be in Super Gas, probably seventy five percent of the people would have picked Austin Williams. So you know he's the prohibitive favorite. He's uh, he's undefeated in finals. You're facing him in the final. It doesn't get much more special for Roger Sauter than to to get this win and you know double his national event total wins in the process against arguably one of the best that's ever going to do it. And certainly one of the best that Topeka's ever seen. Without question, without question. Before Austin Williams held the the deed to Heartland Park, Topeka, Tommy Phillips held the deed to Heartland Park, Topeka. And just to circle that back to our earlier conversation, Jed, the, the trickiness of that facility. Years ago, I asked Tommy, like, hey, what's the secret? Like, you, you do better here than anybody. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, whatever you normally factor for wind, whatever that is, if you think it's five mile an hour ahead wind to slow you down 100, whatever that number is, you just multiply it by three at Topeka. Three. Wow. Now, in my experience, I don't find that to be completely accurate. But again, that is just a testament to how tricky that place is and how literally over the years, those two have dominated there more than anyone, and Austin even more so than Tommy. Um, reigning national stock eliminator champion, Big Jed. Kuda! Kuda Hidalgo, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. He got the super stock win in Topeka in a throwdown final round. Got that win over Ryan Monford. Kuda not only won, he did it in his typical impressive fashion. He never left the starting line worse than 24 in eliminations. That included a tremendous heads up victory over Wyatt Wagner in E4. Uh, he went on then to the semifinals where he knocked off the aforementioned Mike Cotton, prevented him from the double, and then defeated Ryan Monford, another king of Topeka and king of that region in the final round. Yeah, Monford's on fire for sure. Uh, obviously performing very well here of late. Uh, always, you know, a guy that's a threat to win, but good for Ryan Monford making it to the Superstock final. But what about the country puppy? Uh, you know, that's that's a great win. Obviously, won stock eliminator last year. He was a threat in Superstock. Obviously, there was a lot of talent in Superstock that uh, that was continuing to go to races and piling up points. But he's always a threat to get the win there. But Cooter definitely never worse than 24, showing how talented he is. This guy's truly one of the best out there. Uh, if he had the ability to travel without concern and without having to worry about things around home, you know, he would be a, a perennial top five racer in either category. He got hot late last year and continued to chase the stock eliminator crown and ultimately won it that's not his typical mo i mean cooter basically bases the back half of his season on the first half and what his chances are at least that's from the outside looking in he's never confirmed that for me but that's the way it looks to me uh, but definitely a guy that that continues to show how talented he is he can do it on the bracket racing scene in stock or super stock uh, you know, great win for him there in Topeka. And I know that one's special again. I, again, I hate to keep talking and harping on last trophies given, but those are extra special. Luke, you've got one from a, a legendary facility. And I know those just have to mean a little bit more. So 
good for Cooter. Hate it for Ryan Montford, a friend of the show, former uh, interviewee from our champions interviews in years past, but definitely uh, a great win for Cooter and Superstock. Yeah, and perhaps similar to a year ago in that run in Stock Limiter, this is a victory that sets Cooter up. It, it, it puts him in that discussion, which we have talked about at length, that Superstock field at the top is deep and it is talented. But with this win, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. is right amongst them. He will be vying for another national championship, back-to-back national titles, potentially in two different categories. And Jed, I don't know how aware of this you, you are. Cooter is a, is a man after your heart, Big Jed. You, to, just for the for the listener that may Explain. be uninitiated, what are what are the major differences in what's allowed in Superstock versus Stock Eliminator? Well, obviously the biggest difference is you know big tire, and I'm going to name a couple, but big tire sure. trans brake assisted automobiles in Superstock. Those are the two that come to mind. You get to, you get to put a bigger tire under it, which Cooter has done. He didn't always. That that uh, that Firebird combination was a small tire car. A couple of years ago, he put bigger tires on it. And yes, the trans brakes are allowed, welcomed, generally uh, implemented. When Cooter rolls into pre stage in Superstock, that thing's got a little different sound. It's got a little. Cooter swapping feet. Cooter is swapping feet nonstop, either category, and just laying them down. Going Michael Beard on them, swapping feet in Superstock. Good for you, Cooter. That's very, very impressive, Luke. Um, No no chipping it whatsoever? No. Holding her steady. Well, that just, I mean, he was already way up my list, but that just bumped him up a good five, six, eight, ten notches. I mean, you're swapping feet where they're basically – Telling you to use a trans brake, I'm in love with that. Tell you, the man after your heart. Yes. The real, like I say, that that win for Cooter sets the stage. He's going to be in the mix in Superstock. But from a point standpoint, Jed, the real intrigue this week once again belongs to the fast brackets. It was a week ago. It felt like, and we even discussed it here on the show. It felt like Brandon Miller was on track to win the top sportsman title, somewhat uncontested right after his runner-up in in Reading just a week ago and that may still be the case in fairness to Brandon Miller he's putting up a tremendous score he's still probably the odds-on favorite but that man could not be happy to see these two names in the final at Topeka both former national champions Darian Bosch gets the win his second win of the season there's a foundation from which to make a run and he got that win over Jimmy Lewis two-time national champion whose runner-up comes on the heel comes on the heels of his two wins earlier this season where he went back to back at the Dallas double divisional those two have again similar to Jimmy Hidalgo in Superstock they've set a foundation they could make a run Brandon Miller not resting easy at or near the top of the top sportsman ranks now obviously Brandon off to a great start um you know positioning himself well but that's the you know two of probably three or four guys in the class that he did not need to to do well there and certainly racing each other in the final was about as bad a scenario as it could be for Brandon uh still you know in very good 
position, but these guys get hot, it could change a lot for him and, and make it a little more challenging to, to get the ultimate goal of winning the championship. So, um, you know, certainly two of the most talented guys in the field making waves right here is bad news for Brandon, but still feel good about what Brandon's doing and his potential to, to get the, the ultimate championship win done. With that question, in route to the final round, Jimmy Lewis had what could be looked back on as a as a sneaky um, uh, round in terms of points implications. With five cars remaining, Jimmy squared off with one J.R. Loebner. J.R., who we talked about a week ago, undefeated on the season thus far in top sportsman after back-to-back victories at the same facility at the division race, carried that momentum into the quarterfinal round, was racing Jimmy Lewis for a bye to the final. Jimmy gets that win. And again, we joked about JR's, the odds of JR making a run at this. In talking with JR at Topeka, the thought definitely crossed his mind. Like, had he won the national event, I think there was going to be some, 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 come to Jesus meetings. Like there was going to be a, there was going to be a discussion there. I don't know that there still will be. I think that he will pursue the division five championship. If the, if the round wins continue, who knows? Um, But that's another, another very talented, very capable racer that won a bunch of rounds at Topeka and, you know, helped his cause. Meanwhile, across the country, staying in the top sportsman category. Meanwhile, Brian War, who, oh, by the way, is the current national points leader. He's been to more races than Brandon Miller. He's been to more races than Jimmy Lewis. He's been to more races than Darian Bosch. But he is the leader on paper, and he advanced to yet another semifinal finish in Seattle to improve his score. All that said, Brandon Miller is still the odds-on favorite, but if this week was any indication there is more work to do before he's ready to peel that number one and stick it on the side of his top sportsman ride. Yeah, certainly still a, a path full of obstacles for him to get that number one and, and accomplish that goal. And back to, to J.R. Loebner, that, I mean, a round three loss after the performance he's had prior to that is not a, a an end-all, be-all, season-ending result for him you know he can he can still get out there now obviously it gets a little more difficult in terms of um, travel and and you know logistics but if jr wants to chase it he's still in a pretty good position but again brandon miller sitting in the catbird seat got some great competitors around him obviously going to make it very difficult but i still like his chances the other fast bracket, top dragster. We said a week ago that this looked to be probably a two-way race between Clint Geis and Blake Peevler that could turn into three if Vince Mussolino wants to make a run at it, wants to hit the road. Insert Dylan Haug, Big Jed. Dylan listened to the show last week, did his best Lee Corso impersonation, said, not so fast, my friend. Dylan Haug rolled into the double divisional at Pacific Raceways in Seattle and left four days later with not one, but two top dragster wallies. Yes, Dylan Haug runs the table in Seattle. You combine those two victories with two runner-up finishes earlier in the season, and you've got a new points leader in top dragster, the young man from Oregon. 
Yeah, he's on fire too, Luke. Obviously, we've talked about Dylan at the bracket races. We've talked about Dylan in NHRA competition, just really driving very well. And again, not the guy you want to see making waves in your category when, you know, you were feeling pretty good about your position. And now here comes Dylan Haug getting two races, getting two race wins at one event. And, you know, apparently he's obviously traveled around quite a bit already out there in division six and seven, whether it be, you know, leaving on the top bulb or leaving on the pro tree or whenever, but Dylan seems to have the ability to, to get out and travel and chase not what you want to see if you're sitting out in front of him. This young man is talented and capable. Not to be outdone by Dylan Haug's accomplishments. One Blake Peevler, former top director world champion, a guy that we mentioned coming in as part of that race for this year's championship. He picked up another Wally this weekend. He got one of those last Wallies from Topeka. He won top dragster. That's his second national event win of the season. His third overall win of the season. And Chad, Blake Peevler, he did it in style. He made nice runs throughout, but the round that stands out to me, it's a quarterfinal matchup opposite a man by the name of Blake Peevler opposite Al Peevler. <laughs> Is there a relation there? I would say they've met, Luke. Uh, yeah, there's a okay. real good chance if you're if you're a Peevler and you're racing a Peevler, you probably know the person in the other lane. So, for reference, Al is Blake's father. Obviously, a very accomplished top dragster racer in his own right. They meet in round three, and it is no secret to anyone that Blake Peevler is. It's early, but he is very much in contention. He is very much racing for a national championship. What? typically happens in those situations when you are racing for a national championship and you uh, are paired with a team member, a family member, Big Jed, what do we expect to happen? Well, a lot of times you'll see a gift from one family member or great friend to another, Luke, in these situations. If this was a gift, (laughs) it was disguised very well. You expect to see Blake Peebler's wind light come on. Blake Peebler's wind light did come on. Al Peevler was 20 and dead on the six. Not an unbeatable run, but a pretty damn good lap in top dragster. There was nobody laying down. Blake Peevler in the other lane, nine total. That, Big Jed, that is my world champion. That's my guy right there. <laughs> That's my nine, horse. Nine total, dialed six, 18, eight dead, one at 220, almost 221 miles per hour. Al in the other lane, 20 dead six, 26 total, two hundred, two and a half hundred slower at 226 miles per hour, six mile per hour faster. So Blake, Pop got a little yak yak down there, didn't he? He got some Blake taters thrown at him. I mean, he did that extremely well. Al, credit to Al, that's a heck of a run in any category, but when you're in top dragster, you're going 226 mile per hour and you lay down 26 total, your wind light comes on. He got lots of change, 17 of them. And to just set the stage further, this round was run in between pro sessions Saturday afternoon. They actually completed the entire sportsman portion of this event Saturday evening because there was weather rolling in on Sunday. But just to add to the level of difficulty with this, 
Um, we ran top dragster ran two rounds early Saturday morning and the conditions changed pretty significantly. Like the sun came out, the rain was coming in. It got very hot. It got very sticky during that pro session. It's probably four hours later. And you look through that round of top dragster, there weren't a lot of good runs, particularly pro charger equipped cars. Like they move, they, they are inherent for moving tremendously with weather changes. And these two roll out and lay down 26 and nine total, respectively, side by side. Really incredible stuff. Yeah, it truly is, Luke. And, you know, as I look at the box score, um, Blake went, went 606 in E1 against J.R. Loebner and goes 618 in the final dead on, obviously scrubbing a little. And, you know, Al moved his dial in a little bit, but nowhere near the amount that, that Blake moved his. So obviously was willing to hold some, have some in the bag and wheel his opponent at 220 mile per hour. That's hero status for me. Blake Peebler, uh, driver of the week on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. You don't have to sell me on it. <laughs> We're in agreement. So Dylan Haug, after the double victory in Seattle, he takes the national points lead. He's got 556 points in August. That's a that's a strong number, particularly in top dragster. Probably not good enough to hold up and win the championship if he doesn't improve it. Just for reference, again, Dylan Haug, 556 right now. Last year, Jeremy Hancock won the title with 622. But that's the highest total that we've seen in several years, perhaps ever, in top dragster. Blake Peebler was your champion in 2021 with just 578. Anthony Bertozzi was your champion in 2020 with just 546. Now, Dylan has more than that right now today. Now, 2020 may not be completely representative because that's the COVID year. There wasn't as much traveling going on. That's the year that the, the championship totals were a little bit light in every category. But my point is... The score that Dylan Haug's got right now is almost a definite top five, if not top three score every single season and has a chance in most years of actually holding up to win the title. And Dylan's not done. He still has two national events, two divisional events at which he could better that score. Now, it's not as easy as it sounds because he's been so solid to this point. He would have to win round three at any remaining event before he starts earning a single point. Um, so there's some, definitely some meat on the bone, but to say there is not opportunity for him to get up to that 600 point mark, there certainly is. 556 right now, solid. I, I'm not going out on a limb. 556 will not win this year's championship. Not the way Blake Peebler's going, not the way Clint Geis is going, not the way that Vince Mussolino is going if he wants to go to national events, but Dylan Haug has put himself in position to at the very least contend and make a serious run at this title. Yeah, definitely in great position, Luke. And, you know, again, as you mentioned, that's not the score that is going to win it. But you're you've got a guy that's got two races left on each side of the national and divisional schedule, and improving a third round loss is certainly not an easy path. But a guy very capable and and performing at a very high level this year in all forms of racing. You know, you got to like his chances to improve on a third-round loss. Uh, certainly third round, fourth round, and, and then a, maybe a fifth-round win, event win is going to put him in tremendous position. So just needs one really good outing and maybe a couple of those others to be decent, 
and he's going to be sitting really good shape. Without question, a couple of quick hitters from Seattle. Our man Cooper Chun just keeps making us talk about him, Big Jed. Cooper advanced to not one, but two final rounds. He's in the final of Super Comp in race one, was in the final of Super Comp in race two. He did not get either win light, but to advance to back-to-back final rounds and on the heels of not only what he's been through, but this red hot tear that he has been on for the last, what, month, month and a half, pretty special stuff. He advances to both Super Comp finals. He falls short in race one to Greg Taylor. He falls short in race two to Trevor Harkema. Harkema, by the way, also had a big weekend. He also made two finals. He left with two Wallies. He won Super Pro in race one. He won Super Comp in race two. So congrats to Trevor Harkema. Congrats once again to Cooper Chunk. Yeah, great to see Cooper uh, again, continuing to go to final rounds. Just such an impressive uh, story, journey. You know, obviously a lot of talent resides in this young man, but being able to, to, you know, get control of all of the things happening in his body with I'm sure medicines and treatments and all of that stuff and still gather yourself up to be that competitive and compete that well, super impressive stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say it's expected, but it's certainly no surprise. Um, just this guy is loaded with talent and he's continuing to put it on display every time he gets out, no matter what category he's racing in. Trevor Harkema, again, legendary uh, name in the sport, Trevor, so talented, uh, gets out from time to time at the bracket races, but sticks to mostly NHRA style competition, at least when I've seen him racing, capable of doing either or such a such a competitive, talented dude and a really nice fella on top of that. So love to see Trevor get the final round win lights when he does. Yeah, no, he's one like, I, I don't even think he's come up necessarily in some of our conversations, but you talk about underrated West Coast racers. Like that dude can flat drive. That dude could win anywhere. Um, doesn't doesn't get the opportunities, but he is very, very talented. And obviously that was on display in Seattle. Um, as we look ahead to the coming weekend and, and next week's show, Got a couple of big events on, on both the Big Dollar Bracket side and the NHRA side. TB Promotions uh, makes another appearance at Killcare. That is their annual 50 grander, the TB 50. I'm sure we'll be talking about that next week, as well as the second leg of back-to-back, I guess you'd say Midwest stops on the NHRA tour. NHRA makes its way to the zoo, Big Jed, Brainerd International Raceway. I'm sure we'll be talking about that next week as well. Yeah, looking forward to TB Promotions, 50K there at Kill Care. I know there was a handful of entries remaining in the last week or so. So hopefully they get that full and have a great event there at Kill Care. I'm certain that regardless of whether it feels or not, it's going to be so close, it's not going to make a difference. And, <laughs> excuse me, the event is going to be incredible. Those guys are on fire. Uh, Whitworth and, and Tebow certainly are uh, – are moving up the ranks in big buck promotions as we've discussed here on the show. So I know those guys are going to put on a great show. Um, obviously Brainerd national is, uh, is an event that stands on its own, you know, the zoo and 
there'll be footage from the zoo. It'll be fun to watch. I can't wait to see some of that stuff on the internet and see what uh, antics everybody's up to up there. And, um, you know, it looks like some good stuff to talk about for us on next week's show. Somebody will race a rickshaw. Somebody that you know will race a rickshaw in Brainerd. It happens every year. Uh, and there'll be there'll be as many lines people last name line in the in the field as you'll ever see at any event ever so <laughs> more lines than you knew existed it'd be, it'd be long lines it'd be long lines of lines all right so that's this coming weekend i wanted to take just a minute as we as we kind of close the show to to look a bit further ahead specifically on the big bucks bracket schedule because this gets hectic. This gets congested uh, starting in just a few weeks, right? The, the, the truly elite, right? The, the, the toppest of the, the highest of the top echelon of big dollar bracket racing. You've got the summer fling in Columbus, the weekend after Labor Day, the weekend after your Labor Day 250K, which is obviously a, a different event in and unto itself, the, the marquee event for foot brake racers. On the top bulb side, summer fling Columbus, the weekend after Labor Day, which features that amazing 48 car all-star shootout that we've talked about that we will talk about again leading up to that event. That's going to be a ton of fun. Immediately following that, OG Million Worldwide Technology Raceway near St. Louis, Missouri, the very next weekend. Immediately following that, the SFG World Series in Rockingham. Okay, so that's three consecutive weekends. And just for a quick refresher, the SFG World Series in its current form 30, 60, 30 plus three days of foot brake racing. Immediately following that, Fall Fling Bristol, which sold out in what, three minutes, full house, packed capacity, single entry only. Then a quote unquote week off preceding the Mike Smith Memorial at Montgomery, Capital City Raceway, which is immediately followed by the Great American $500,000 to win October 17th through 21st. So big dollar marquee. Um, name brand destination events in six of seven consecutive weeks to essentially close the season. Something's got to give or does it big Jed are all of these races successful? Is this good timing who wins, who loses? Like, is this all going to work? It seems like we've had this discussion before and they all worked. This seems like a lot. Yeah. Luke, when you look at, uh, that schedule it, it looks like wow they're just they're all going to cancel one another out and it's going to be challenging for people to make them all we already know the fall fling in bristol is full okay so that one that one's locked in good for peter he's got to be feeling really good about what's going to happen there in bristol september 26th through the 30th uh the the summer fling in columbus has so much hoopla around it with the 48 car shootout for a hundred thousand dollars and then certainly a great person, the fling event itself. I really believe that being on the front end of that list of races is going to, to be very good for him. Then you look at the OG million and if everybody had to travel back to Montgomery, it could be a little challenging, but in the position that it's in, it's going to be in St. Louis at worldwide technology. I really believe just from the scuttlebutt around social media that that OG million is going to be incredible. I really think it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be very successful. So then you get SFG, the world series in Rockingham. 
great event, 30-60-30 plus foot break. It's on the East Coast. You know, a lot of the East Coast racers that come down for millions or travel south for some of these other races, they, they need somewhere to go. Obviously, North Carolina is a hotbed. I really think that event can be very successful there at Rockingham. I think that place is attractive for people. It'll park plenty of cars, should do very well. And I think a lot of people will catch it on the way to Bristol that's already entered in Bristol. So as far as that run of races, I don't see any reason why they all can't be successful. Will they all set records? You know, that's not likely. But I think being successful is a likely scenario for them. Then you get to the to the week off. Well, that week off is the world finals for IHRA. Although I'm pissed off at IHRA right now, and this might get me banned, I'm in position here locally to possibly win uh, the points at I-22 Motorsports Park on the top bulb and get an opportunity to go to the world finals. If they don't ban me for my rant, then I might get an opportunity to go there myself and compete, which will be very cool. Then you come back. Sorry. Pretty good. It's a first amendment, man. You know, that's right. That's a very good point. And I'm just mad at him. I don't hate him. Um, So then you come back to Montgomery, which is now apparently Montgomery International Dragway. It's now MID under the new ownership of Brad Wheeler. Oh. A brand new timing system, Luke, an AccuTime timing system that has been installed. They just had their first race on it. I've seen so many great comments about Montgomery and how the race was handled. The track conditions were excellent. The timing system had zero issues. Everything seemed to go extremely well. Very happy to see that news, especially on the cusp of these big money races that are coming up, the Mike Smith Memorial, uh, October 12th through the 15th. Obviously, the VMP Triple Threat will be there for the, the racers up northeast of there, a good ways. That's a great thing. And then the Great American 500K from Galen and Britt and their team the following week after the Mike Smith Memorial. Really good news for everybody involved there with Montgomery International Dragway and uh, the leadership team there, the ownership team. It looks like that place is pointed in the right direction, Luke, and I could not be happier. You know, it's the premier facility in the state that I reside in. It's important to racing that that facility is kept up and kept going and, you know, offers us the opportunity at at events like this. Uh, Really good news for Montgomery International Dragway. Very excited for all of them and, and the hard road they've had to get here. I think I'm with you. Like I rattled off that schedule and my first instinct is to say, somebody's got to lose. Somebody's got to take it on the chin. These can't all work back to back to back to back. But similar to what you just did, Jed, you take and you break them down individually. And I think I'm bullish on every single event on the calendar, right? You've got the summer fling at Columbus. They add in this 48 car field. Now that's 48 cars of the the super elite, like the heaviest hitters. And in the past, that's probably the one fling event that's left a little bit to be desired in terms of car count. It's always done fine. It's never really hit a home run, but I would say that 25% of those 48 were a part of that field religiously, if that. 
So you're just bringing in probably 35 entrants guaranteed on top of what's traditionally there. And then I think you could make the argument. I think it would be very easy to look at that as a, as a regional racer and just get excited to be there and be a part of it. You're like, oh man, I'm going to get the opportunity to race with Jeff Sarah and Kevin Brandon and Matt Dadison on down that line, right? The, the whole 40, Scotty and Edmund Richardson, right? All, all the way down. That's, that's awesome. You could also look at it and say like, why on earth would I want to go to race where all those guys are going to be at, right? So I could see, I could see both sides of that argument. I don't think that it impacts the crowd monumentally. I think it's probably goes up just from the sheer fact of you've got 35 racers that aren't traditionally there that you would assume would stay for the weekend. As we've talked about the OG million in St. Louis, I think is going to be a major home run. And I think probably benefits from being on the front side of this schedule and benefits from location. Like I don't, I don't think it's hyperbole. We'll, we'll revisit this as it gets closer. And certainly in hindsight, I think it's realistic. I think it's very possible. I think that event could have 800 cars in the surrounding races around the million. I, th I think it will be off the charts record setting. Um, SFG World Series is sort of an outlier to all this in, in terms of geography, if nothing else. But I think you bring up a really good point. Like if the OG Million loses anything, it's going to be true from the true East Coast. Those places, those guys need a place to go, right? And there is such a strong contingent of big dollar racers in the Carolinas that don't really leave the Carolinas that I think will support SFG, that I think will support Rockingham and everything that they've done there. That's another facility that's definitely on the come up. I have a good feeling about that event. Fall Fling Bristol sold out in three minutes. Nothing more to be said, right? That's obviously a, a grand slam to begin with. And that leaves the Great American 500K at the end of all of this. And I do think it could be an unenviable position to be at the end. I think there is, a, a, I think it's realistic to think that some racers that would otherwise attend that race might just be out of money and out of time by that, by that time. But I think on paper, in my opinion, that the format of the Great American 500K is arguably the best format of any of those events at a facility that is getting nothing but good vibes put on by Britton Galen, who I think short of Peter Biondo and what he has accomplished with the fling brand, like I just feel like those guys have built up tremendous equity among the racing market. And, and have a tremendous following. Like, I just don't see that race failing either. I think, I think they're all going to succeed as crazy as that is to say, I think all of these races do well. Yeah. Luke, as much as you could look at that and see that it's the last race in that schedule and, and think, boy, that could be challenging. It's also, um, also the last opportunity of 2023, right? And it's also potentially the biggest payday. Yeah. in that whole list of races you know obviously the og the million guaranteed payday if the og million does what you think it's going to do then it is going to be through the roof again and very very successful and pay a very large number um in this year's version but potentially that 500k could be the biggest race and again it's it's where the million lived on this the calendar it's at the facility the million lived at. And that facility is getting tremendous PR right now. Um, and I think, you know, the 40s, there's three 40s around it for 900 bucks, I think I saw on the flyer. So I think a lot of people will come in, run the 40s, like 
They've always done the surrounding races at the million, packed the place out, and hopefully the 500K gets its share of, uh, of people transferring over and paying the $2,000 entry to the point where it's very successful and, and the full, fur, full purse is paid. So I think, uh, I think all of these races are positioned well. Obviously, the Mike Smith race is, is on the smaller end, but still very good purse, 20s and gives people a chance to get there early and run back-to-back weeks for amazing money, I think they're all going to be very successful. I think they're all um, positioned well geographically to the point where they're serving just enough of a different customer base that that the traveling group that's going to go to all of them is going to put it over the top. So, I'm excited for it. Looking forward to it. Obviously, the the BT Labor Day 250K is is a Labor Day weekend event for us. The foot brake race that pays a minimum of a hundred thousand on Saturday. If we get over two hundred seventy five cars, it'll pay more than that. So that's a big deal to the foot brake community. It's a, it's a great race, and and looking forward to getting it done there on Labor Day and seeing what happens for these events on down the road. But um, you know, we're, uh, we're pretty excited about our 250K as well. So just great races for top and bottom bulb racers, as there always is in September and October. And looking forward to seeing how all these things play out, basically one after another. I think that's it. I think that's the show. Are we done already, Lou? I should have. Almost on the dot. I should have fussed more about the IHRA's decision to not allow Kendall Gillespie to represent sportsmen for his track at the world finals consider this your stage did i say his name oh my bad i you know obviously i ran it to begin the show you know I, i just need to get over it um there was an issue at another event where a racer that was out of the program uh shouldn't have been in and eliminated three or four people on his way to the final uh, I thought it would have been great PR to invite the three or four people that was racing the Sportsman Spectacular for an opportunity to go to the World Finals. I think it would have been a great opportunity for them to get some great PR and get some equity with the racers, not only the ones affected, but just all in general, and invite those three or four people that got eliminated to the World Finals. You increase your car count by three or four, no big deal. And I don't think they all show up on top of that, Luke. So I think you you could have done yourself a real favor there by stepping out and saying we we don't condone this activity. And no, I don't know why it happened, but regardless, it happened on our watch, and this is what we're going to do to fix it. Okay. They decide that's not going to happen. Then you come down what a couple months later or somewhere in that range. And you've got a racer that has just realized, holy crap, I was, you know, running my my category that I was supposed to be in, but didn't have my X on the car. But it's all confirmed. I'm leading the points. I won the points. I, I should be the representative for this track at the world finals. But I don't get to do that now because I didn't have an X on my car. You know, I get rules and I'm all about rules being enforced and making sure that we're keeping everybody on a level playing field. 
in terms of rules that can be broken and create an advantage for a racer to be competitive and win and collect purses and points and those things. This had nothing to do with competition. This was an oversight on the racer's part. Shame on him. Okay. Shame on Kendall for not running his correct number, but it's a freaking number. And, and it's probably his first time to run IHRA and who knows how long. And it's a new sanctioning body and we've got different people that we're dealing with and we're learning as we go. Let's just slap him on the wrist or the hand or wherever you slap them and say, can no, that's a rules violation, but here we're going to, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to use common sense and we're going to do what we promise our members we will do in terms of trying to give you the best opportunity to compete for these great purses and prizes at the world finals. I understand the second place racers probably thinking, well, that's bull crap. He didn't have his X on and I should be the guy. You didn't win the most rounds. The racer that wins the most rounds should be the racer that represents. If you're a member and you bought your memberships and you've done all the things you should do, and Kendall's done that, KG as we call him in the in the, the slot car world. And you know, no Kendall is a is a great guy. So he did all the things he needed to do to to join this sanctioning body and compete and he won the most rounds you know if if it's if it's that bad a deal if it's that egregious a violation of a rule then freaking just let them not have to worry about changing the number from class to class let them run the same number whatever because this is a simple oversight and a mistake that anyone could have made and unfortunately for this racer it's cost him a freaking opportunity to go to the world finals, which is what he was racing for. I'm sure he skipped good races to go run points races, IHRA points races, when he could have won, gone and done something else, but he committed to the IHRA, and I'd like to see the IHRA commit to him. And fight the second place guy, too, if you think it's that big a deal. Freaking, I think you get $300 tow money. I mean, what's the big deal? Let's Let's get some good PR and let people know that we're in year one. There are some mistakes made. We understand. We have learned from it. We've gotten better, but we're going to reward the racers that committed to us and joined our sanctioning body and ran our races. We're going to reward them. It won't happen every year, but this year in year one, this is what we're going to do. It's a golden opportunity for the IHRA. And I feel like they're missing the boat, Luke, over, over something that is just really a common sense thing. And it's just an easy decision to make. And I feel like they, they failed on the decisions they made. As a personal opinion, IHRA probably don't give a crap what I think. But I think I represent the majority of opinions when it comes to something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, Jared Pennington, man of the people. Jed, have you ever thought about with all of the, the divergent sanctioning bodies, promoters, agendas within our sport? 
I've thought at times like our, our, our sportsman drag racing needs a czar, needs a commissioner, if you will. <laughs> and if that ever came to fruition, I would nominate you, Big Jed. I think you were the man to just oversee this and just steer the ship a little bit and just step in occasionally and be like, hey, you're screwing up. Here. You know, I've been promoting races for 17 years. I've made my share of poor decisions but I've owned every single one of them. I really feel like I have, you know, when I make a bad decision, I try to own it. And I try to say, you know, that that's not what I should have done. I should have done it differently. And I try to learn from it. I don't feel like the IHRA, uh, I guess, power circle is, is really trying to, get to the right result. I think they're sticking by the rule book. And that's that's a wonderful thing, okay? That's a great thing to stick to the rule book. But when it's not when it's not a just a blatant violation of the rules in terms of trying to give you a competitive advantage, I feel like we need to be able to look past some of these things and it's just not getting done. So it's disappointing, but you know, it is what it is. Um, that's uh, there's there's people with a lot of money invested in that organization, and I'm sure they feel like they have the best plan for it in its future, and that doesn't include me. So, I wish the best for them, but I definitely have a, a fortunate to have a, a platform where I can fuss about it a little bit, and that's what I did. We say what we think here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Right, we do. Okay. So Luke, I appreciate that. Speaking of platform, I appreciate that platform. And uh, thank you for letting me rant just a little bit. And uh, if anybody from the IHRA wants to contact me and let me know that I'm banned from competition, I, uh, I will accept the phone call and accept consequences for my actions. Free Jeb. Um, yes. Yes. Free Jeb. That wraps us up, guys. We appreciate you watching. If you are uh, tuning in live to this show, uh, if you're listening on Friday, we appreciate you listening. If you did both, we appreciate both. We just thank you for being here with us and being a hashtag loyal listener. Um, if you want to have a comment about any of my rant or any other topics that we talked about on today's show or any show for that matter, there's a place to do that. It is right there at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page where we welcome your comments, both in public and in private, if you choose to take that route, producer Mark will snag that up and send it to us as he always does. Luke, I've seen you go to the pad a couple of times. I know that there's some epic shouts coming. Shouts to rickshaws. Shouts to the MID, Montgomery International Dragway. That was news to me, Big Jed. Love shouts it. to the X. <laughs> shouts to you hashtag free jed shouts to the first amendment mm. shouts to bucky's yeah. shouts to austin williams he's him shouts to mike cotton he's himmer and shouts <laughs> to steve micus he is oh. luke that was as good a shout list as you've had in quite some time my friend that was impressive i mean that even got some off-air stuff in it so 
really happy that producer Mark's Bucky's experience got somewhat of a mention here on the, the shout list. So good for everybody involved. Guys, Luke and I both are active and available on the X, Twitter, X, whatever it is. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We would love to hear from you at us anytime. We can't wait to see what you have to say to us. That wraps us up. We thank you again for watching or listening, whichever one you're doing. And we certainly are super excited to talk to you again real soon about more sports. No, it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.